Well, this morning I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, so where we find our text for this morning, Colossians chapter 4. This morning we are going to conclude the series, We Are the Church. But in a way, this is a series that is always ongoing, uh, because it's very important that we keep the vision and the mission of the church in front of us. We must never forget why Jesus established the church and what he has called us to do. So in this series, we are the church. So far, we've talked about the first week, we talked about how we can be a healthy church. God wants us to be a healthy church. God, God's plan is for us to be a healthy church. We don't need unhealthy churches because unhealthy churches hurt people and they turn people away from God instead of drawing them to God. Last week we talked about why we must be a praying church. It's very important we, we not only be a praying church, but that we be a church that is uh, devoted to praying. And as I say to you often, we must not only dabble in prayer, but we've got to learn to be devoted to it. And so today I want to conclude this series talking to you about being a proclaiming church. A proclaiming church. And we're going to go back to Colossians where we were last week. Colossians 4. And I'll go ahead and start with verse 2 once again. And read through uh, verse 4. Colossians 4 beginning with verse 2. Follow along in your, in your Bibles as I read this. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that, so that rather we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So let's talk about being a proclaiming church. You know, politics aside, Christianity is an evangelistic religion. We're evangelicals, and I say politics aside because, uh, unfortunately, that word evangelicals has, has been used in, in such a negative sense. It, it saddens me that the media has turned the word evangelicals into a political term. Now, all an evangelical is, is uh, someone whose purpose, and this is our purpose as evangelicals, our purpose is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what an evangelical uh, does. Uh, our purpose is to proclaim the, the good news that there is salvation. And that salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. Now I know that's not politically correct. I understand that. But that's, that's what we're called to proclaim as people who believe the gospel. That the gospel should be shared. The word evangel means gospel. So as evangelicals, our, our aim, our purpose is to share the gospel. Now again, it has such a negative tone, a negative connotation now in politics, and that it saddens me. And it doesn't help that there are evangelical Christians who, who have forgotten what it is uh, to be a follower of Christ and to be called to proclaim the gospel and, and not to you know, proclaim certain political stances which may even contradict the gospel. And so that doesn't help us. But we, we should never hesitate from proclaiming the gospel because that's what we're called to do. We should never shrink back from this calling that we have as a church 
to be a proclaiming church, to be a church that proclaims the gospel. And this is what we find here in this passage in which we've been considering last week and now today. And so uh, after Paul says to the Colossian church, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then in verse 12, he gives them the example of what it, it is what it is for of someone who is devoted to prayer. He talks of Epaphras who wrestled. Uh, for them in prayer. All that is from last week's message. If you weren't here, you can listen to that online. But then he says in verse 3, uh, two things that he, he's, he says that Colossian church and we by extension should pray for and should do. I see two things here that Paul tells the Colossians to pray for. Namely, he tells them, uh, first of all, pray for an open door. We must pray for an open door for God's word. During this season in which we're, we're ramping up, getting ready for, for Easter, and we're spending this time in prayer, uh, we, we have a, a, this campaign of six weeks of Easter that I just explained, in which the first two weeks are, are designed for us to set a foundation in prayer. What do we pray for? Well, we can take a cue here from uh, Paul when he says, We must pray for an open door for God's word. Now Paul was in prison. He says he was in chains. Right? We read that in verse 3. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. It might have been house arrest. Uh, but nonetheless he was in prison. He was in chains. And he could have prayed. Or he could have asked the church to pray for anything. Including that he would be released. Why didn't he say that? Why didn't he tell the Colossians, hey, a, a church in Colossi, Colossians, my, my brothers, my, my sisters, my friends, pray that I will be released soon. I am in chains and I want to go home. I want to go back to my home. So pray that I be released soon. He could have prayed for, he could have asked for a prayer for that, but he didn't. Instead, he asked that the Colossians pray for an open door for God's word. I love how we prioritize that. And I wonder, could I do that too? Could I prioritize asking God for an open door above asking for a personal need? That might be a very legitimate need that I have. But could I prioritize asking God for an open door to preach the gospel before I pray, God, meet my personal needs? Uh, in this case, he didn't pray, get me out of this prison, get me out of the situation. Could I do the same thing? Could we do the same thing? And yet there it is. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message. Now the message he's talking about, of course, is the gospel. Because he, he talks about the mystery of Christ. You know, there's, a, there's a mystery. And not that we can never understand what God wants of us and wants for us and wants to do in us. But it's a mystery how God would become man and come down to earth for this purpose. And so that's the message that he's talking about. But when he says, pray for us that God may open a door, what, what do you think that means? You know, this isn't the only time that Paul uses this imagery of an open door. In fact, if you go with me to some verses here, we're going to read three other times that he uses the same phrase, the same imagery. The first one is found in Acts 14.27, where at the end of uh, Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas, Paul then reports to the church in Antioch about what God had done. 
And so uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, writes this in Acts 14, 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. See, that's what, that's what God had done. God opened the door and the result was faith. Not among the Jews, but among the Gentiles. That door was opening. That door previously had been closed to the Gentiles. But now it's opening. It was an open door. They were able to preach the gospel. And Gentiles came to faith. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul explains his itinerary. He's, t- he's telling them his itinerary. He explains it this way in verse 8. He says, But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. Right? So he talks about an open door. An, a, a, door of, a, a great door of effective work. It's a door here. And maybe it's a set of circumstances. Or maybe it's a climate of, of receptiveness. That hadn't been there uh, initially. But it's an open door that's making Paul's work unusually fruitful. That's why he says it's an effective work. It's a great door for effective work. He was getting great results there. And so that's the open door that he's talking about there. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you go to that now, 2 Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 12, Paul says this, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Again, the open door that he references here, that he alludes to here, seems to be a, a, remark, a remarkable set of circumstances that would have been very effective for the gospel. Something that allowed him to go through to preach the gospel with a remarkable results. So when Paul then pleads with the Colossians here, back in our text, Pray for us that God may open a door for our message. We understand that to mean that, that uh, when Christians pray, when Christians pray, God changes circumstances. Listen to this. When Christians are devoted to prayer, God changes circumstances. He changes attitudes. He changes uh, the lack of receptiveness for, for the word. So that instead of hitting a brick wall, God's word finds an open door and becomes unusually effective. So, you know, hitting a brick wall, is, there's no way to get through it. And we feel stumped. You know, we, we can't go any further. But God doesn't want that to happen. God wants us to go through the door. And so that's why he says, pray for us also that this may happen. But I want, this to, I want this to sink into your mind and your heart today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase it. I'm going to restate it. The key to opening the door of circumstances and attitudes and receptiveness is prayer. Specifically to be devoted to prayer. To be devoted to prayer. And last week we talked about what that means. To learn to wrestle in the spirit. To wrestle in prayer. That's the key to having open doors of circumstances, open uh, uh, attitudes and receptiveness to the gospel, to our message. So the first thing is, we, we've got to learn to pray for an open door for God's word. Then the other thing that Paul says here is that 
We must proclaim God's word clearly. We must proclaim God's word clearly. He says again, I'm going to read these two verses again. Verses 3 and 4 from Colossians 4. And pray for us too, he says, that God may open a door for our message. So that, excuse me, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am, I am in chains. Then he says in verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Clearly as I should. In other words, not only is there a need for God to open doors, there has to be something clear and powerful, something life-changing, heart-transforming to send through that door that has been opened. And we're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about the mystery of Christ. We're talking about the, the gospel. My prayer every time I stand here to preach and to teach is that I would be clear. In fact, in our, in our uh, prayer meetings at 10 o'clock when I uh, just pray and gather our people and we pray together, um, they can witness to this that I always tell them, you know, let's pray that the message will be clear. Because that is important that we not confuse people because God's word is not confusing. It might be a mystery to an extent, but it's not confusing. And so Paul says, pray that we may proclaim this mystery. And then he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. There's so much confusion and deception in our world today. We need a clear word from God. We need a clear word from God that changes lives and transforms hearts. So that was his prayer. We've got to learn to proclaim God's word clearly. Now it's interesting to me to read Paul's words here. To read that he would ask that he be able to proclaim the gospel clearly. Because if anybody could proclaim it clearly, it was Paul. Paul was very intelligent, highly educated. He was very articulate. If you read his writings, you can tell how articulate uh, he was. He was not lacking for words. In fact, on one occasion, some people complained that he had too many words. He was verbose. Too many words. So he was never accused of not, not having enough words. He had a lot of words, highly educated, very articulate. And yet, he says, pray for me that I proclaim it clearly as I should. And I would say that these prayers were answered in Paul's life. I want you to go with me to Acts 28. Look at Acts 28. Verses 23 and 24. We're going to go ahead and put those up on the screen because I want you to see them. I want you to see what, uh, what he says here. He said, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. Now look at this word. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade, persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Now notice, notice those words that I highlight, highlighted there. Witnessed, explaining, persuading. When you persuade someone, you try to use uh, words and ideas of persuasion. And some were convinced, others were not, but that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to convince them. So here's a, here's a man uh, of God, a powerful man of God, who asked the church, pray for me that I can proclaim it 
clearly, proclaim the message of the gospel clearly. And I would say by what we read about Paul, and as we read his writings, that that's a prayer that God wants to answer. Because God wants His Word to be clear. He doesn't want His Word to be confusing. But still, I just find it interesting, you know, somehow Paul imagines himself when he's getting back to the, the prayer request he had for the, uh, for the Colossians, that they would pray for him to be clear. Uh, somehow Paul imagines himself proclaiming the gospel in a way that is not clear. And thus is not bold and powerful. So as I think about this, the, the greatest preacher and the greatest missionary who ever lived besides the Lord Jesus, of course, said that, is in essence saying that the effectiveness of his preaching depends on the prayers of the church. The effectiveness of this gospel being preached with power, with authority, with boldness, with clarity, depends on the prayers of the church. And if that is true for Paul, how much more so is that true for us? So we get back to the same thing. Pray. We've got to pray. We've got to be devoted to prayer. So the doors will open up. And so we can proclaim the word of God clearly. With power. With authority. With boldness. But then the, the question arises. How do, we, how do we do this? How do we proclaim the gospel? We might say. Well I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to start. I don't know how to explain anything. I don't know. How to clarify anything. You know, I'm not knowledgeable. I, I didn't go to seminary. Well you don't have to have gone to seminary. To be able to proclaim. I think the, the first step for us. Is we've got to be willing to step through the open door. That God gives us. Step through the open door. That God gives us. If we're praying for it. It's going to happen. But let me, let me give you some, some ideas here. Maybe consider these some baby steps to learning how to proclaim the gospel. These are not hard. We can, in fact, these are things that we can do today. These are things you can do this week immediately. So, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down because this is something that you, as you kind of review these uh, in, your, in your private uh, devotional time, then you'll, I think you'll see, yeah, I can do that. I can do that today. I can do this tomorrow. I can do that this week. I can go through that open door and proclaim the gospel clearly. So, baby step number one. I sound like Dave Ramsey here, right? Baby step number one. Say something, even when it's easier to say nothing. In other words, speak up. When you're with your friends and your family members, even when it's, it's easier to... Say nothing to shut up. Instead, speak up. Because there are times when we will have an opportunity to turn the conversation to Jesus. Or to the church. Or to religion. As people understand this. We have opportunities. We've had, I I can almost guarantee this. We've had opportunities, every one of us, to turn the conversation to God, and we don't do it. There's an open door there, and we don't walk through it. You know, we could easily, one of the ways we can do this, is we can, we can easily ask someone this question. Hey, if you're with a friend, and you've got some, some time, you're just kind of talking about nothing. You know, you're talking about sports, or the weather, nothing really important. You can turn the conversation simply by asking this question. Ask your friend this question. Hey, what was your religious tradition growing up? 
Or what was when you were a child, what was your church background when you were a child? See, if, if you think it's too personal to ask somebody right now about their religious beliefs, okay, I get that. Then you might soften that a little bit by asking about it. When, they were, when you were a child growing up, take it back to when you were a kid, did you have a religious tradition? And they might say, well, yeah, we used to go to, I used to go to this church or that church. Or, or they might say, I've never been to church. We didn't really go to church. But you've turned the conversation to where you can begin to build on that. The, this is a question that can be a conversation starter that might actually, might actually lead to you being able to share your faith in Christ and maybe even invite them to church. So I want to tell you, be bold and walk through the door. And say something, even when it's easier to say nothing. You just keep your mouth shut. No, speak up. Turn the conversation to God, to church, to religion. And then you can say, well, you know what? I, uh, I didn't go to church growing up either, but um, we do now. And you know what? I've just found that it makes such a big difference. And begin to explain what God has done in your life. So say something, even when it's easier to say nothing. Here's baby step number two. Take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. Now, if we pray for open doors, then God's going to open doors. That is a prayer request that God wants to answer. And so if we pray for open doors, God's going to open doors. And when God opens the doors, then walk through those doors. Take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. Because a lot of times, we don't, Maybe we don't turn the conversation to God. Maybe we don't ask a question. Maybe we're not there yet. But somebody else asks a question that we could easily answer in a way that will turn it to God. Turn that conversation to God. For example, how many of you have ever been asked by somebody? You might be asked by somebody tomorrow. Have you ever been asked, hey, how, how was your weekend? Right? Have you ever been asked that? How was your weekend? Or, hey, what did y'all do this weekend? Why do we answer that question why do we answer the question, oh, well, not much. But we never mentioned, we know I went to church. Why do we say, yeah, the kids had soccer, or I had to take my daughter to dance, or this or that. And we never mentioned, I went to church. We have an op- we, that's an open door. We have an opportunity to, to walk through that door, and we don't take it. We never think about saying, well, we went to church, and you know what, it was, it was really good, you know. The preacher's not that great, but God was in the house. You know, take advantage of of those opportunities. Be bold. Be bold and walk through the door. And even if you didn't make it to church, maybe you were sick or maybe you had to be out of town on a trip. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, had to go out of town. And it was good, but man, I sure miss being at church. You can still mention that. I mean, there's there's so so many ways that we can turn the conversation to where people can ask and, and, and we can just share the gospel. So say something, even when it's easier, easier to say nothing. Take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. And the third thing is this. If there are no new opportunities there, then you create new opportunities to speak up. You create new opportunities to speak up. When you... When you invite someone to come to church, and we're getting ready to, uh, to start inviting people. We're, gonna, we're having this time of the season of prayer, and then we're going to have a season of inviting people to come to our Easter service. Then you're creating an opportunity. When you're bold enough to 
to step through that door and to just start inviting people, you created an opportunity. And how many of you know that takes boldness, but we need boldness to go through a door? I'm always amazed at, at the boldness with which people have spoken to me. And this is fine. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with this. People have spoken to me about a product that they're, 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 uh, they're wanting to sell. Or you know, they, want, they want me to buy something from them. And maybe even want, to, want me to get involved in their business. And that's fine. And, and, I, and I think, why can't we be that bold to, to create opportunities? To create opportunities where we can speak up and invite people to come to Christ. And invite them to come to church, Because when you decide to invest your time in developing a friendship and maybe even invest your money because you can take somebody out to eat somewhere just so you can get to know them. When you invest your time, your, your money with, uh, in developing a friendship with someone that's outside your regular circle of friends, that's going through a door. That's creating an opportunity. That's opening the door. And, and you're creating an opportunity for someone to come. To Jesus. So we must be a praying church so that we can become a proclaiming church. We must be a praying church so that we can become a proclaiming church. That is what we're called to do, to be a proclaiming church. But it starts with us praying, asking God for open doors, and then walking. Through those doors. Let me read you one more. Scripture here in Acts 16. Verse 14. This is a story of a lady named Lydia. Lydia. And I love what. The Bible says about her in Acts 16. And actually. uh, I'm going to. Let me start reading with verse 13. Acts 16. 13 says. On the Sabbath. We went a little way outside the city. To a riverbank. Where we thought. People would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Now, verse 14. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. Now, she was a person, think about this, Lydia was already a religious person. She was already a religious person. But she hadn't heard the, the, the message of Jesus that Paul was teaching. And sometimes we think, and, I, and I've said this before, it's easier for me to share the gospel with somebody who's not a Christian than to share it with somebody who is also not a Christian maybe, but they're religious. They have a religious background. They've been to church and they have religious traditions. But they don't see the simplicity of the gospel outside of religion. They, they don't see the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes that door is so hard to open. But you know what? As I read this verse, I'm encouraged because God still opens those doors. He still opens hearts. I love that. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. Why don't we pray today that this exact thing will happen over and over time and time again in our community. Especially as we lead up to Easter now. That through our praying, through our preparation, through our devotion to prayer, through our wrestling and and prayer, that when we share the gospel, that God would open the hearts of people and they would accept this 
gospel that we are proclaiming. Let's pray that this happens as we, as we become a church that proclaims the gospel every chance we get. We must be a praying church so that we can become a proclaiming church. Let's bow for prayer. Father, today we, we stand here before you, humbled, acknowledging that we are nothing on our own. Today, Father, I thank you that in spite of that, you sent your son to die in our stead, to die in our place, a death that we deserved. But not only that, Lord, he not only died for us, but he came back to life. And this is, this is what we celebrate every time we come together for a worship time, worship service. We're celebrating the, the death and resurrection of your son. And we know that because Jesus lives, people's lives can still be changed. That is a message that you want us to proclaim. God, I ask that you would forgive us for those times that we didn't proclaim it. Those times that we got distracted by life. Those times we got distracted by other messages which weren't the message that we were called to proclaim. Forgive us for that. Help us today to become a a praying church. To be a, a, a church that is devoted to prayer so we can be a proclaiming church. As we begin a time of of uh, response to you right now, Lord. As we begin a time of surrender to you right now, I pray that you would help us to surrender to your will as individuals and individuals and as a church. Help me to to be a praying individual. Because a praying church is made up of praying individuals. Help us to be those individuals. Help us to respond to you, to the call that you've given us, Father. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing this song again that the praise team sang earlier. I give myself away. I'm going, to, I'm going to invite us as we, we're going to conclude tonight or today rather with a time of surrender to God. So as we, as we sing this song, as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to come. Let's come and let's say, Lord, I want to be a part of a praying church so that we can become a proclaiming church. You can proclaim at your jobs. You can proclaim at your school I had a weird way of proclaiming Christ when I was in school you gotta understand this is the 70's I had a strange way of proclaiming Christ I used to have there used to be these patches that this, this was a thing back then by the way this is so this, I didn't make this up I just followed the crowd but my patches were different and so I had my mom my mom would sew these patches to my bell bottoms not at the bottom the, the bell part and there were patches and they would say things like, Jesus is the answer. I had a guy make fun of me. He said, oh yeah, what's the question? <laughs> I wanted to hit him, but I didn't. I wouldn't have gone real well with the love of Christ. But I had these patches and it was a way, I had my, an English teacher, well, I've talked about him before. He was uh, my, my English three, my junior English 
teacher. His name was Ernest Clark. And he would he liked to pick on me. And he told me one time, stand up and tell us, what does that patch mean? I forget what that particular patch was about. It might, you know what? I think it was the one that said Jesus is the answer. The guy who was laughing at was behind me. Like, what's the question? I had pencils that said, you know, uh, I, had a, I remember I had a white pencil and then red letters that said Jesus is the answer or Jesus loves you. That's, that's how I knew. I was a kid back then. But I'm just saying, look, at, at, in school, at your job, in your family. How many of you know we have family members that need Christ? You can proclaim Christ. Let's be a praying church so we can become a proclaiming church. As we sing this song, let's come. Let's come and seek God. I give myself away. Give myself away. I give myself away. myself away so you can use me give myself away I give myself away so you can use me I give myself away Give myself away so you can use me. Here I am, here I stand. Lord, my life is in your hands. Lord, I'm longing to see. Your desires revealed in me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away.